Welcome to season two of the Summit Podcast with your co-hosts, Andrew March and Jeremy Terman. We invite successful people, including business executives, pro athletes, investors, and entrepreneurs to discuss how they define success and what keeps them driving each and every day. All we ask is that you rate and review the show if you found any value in the episode you're about to listen to. Once again, thanks for taking a listen and on with the show. Today's episode, we want to thank our sponsor, Fitzby, an athleisure company designed to re-inspire and facilitate your on-the-go lifestyle. Check out Fitzby at fitspi.com. That's fitspi.com and use code the summit 30 for 30% off. Welcome to the Summit Podcast. We're extremely uh, excited to have Sahil Mansouri with us today. He currently serves as a CEO at Bravado. Um, he's a six-year number one sales rep at multiple SaaS companies, has never missed annual quota, and is an investor in multiple startups. So Sahil, excited to have you on the show today. Thanks, man. Glad to be here. This is fun. Well, we'll start off with the the hot question, which is, how do you define success? Yeah, so... Um... I actually never really thought about success as I was going through things. Um, I really just focused on improvement. I feel like as long as what you're doing is making you better at things you want to be better at, then that's what success looks like. Um, and that you're spending your time working on things that you really care about and want to work on. Like the greatest luxury in life is you know, being able to work with people that you like on things that are interesting, that are helping you get better at stuff that you care about. And then success is just an offshoot of those parameters. You know, do you have the right team around you working on the right things? Are you getting better? If those three things are happening, success tends to follow. Definitely. So you, you know, you had talked about this notion of improvement. Where were you exposed to that concept and how did you gravitate towards the idea of improvement as like this guiding motivation? Yeah, I mean, it all really started with when I was a kid, I played a lot of chess. Um, I'm an avid chess player. I don't play as much as I used to, but I used to play a lot. Um, and chess is really interesting because there's this uh, thing called an ELO rank uh, rating system. And so you can basically tell exactly how good you are in comparison to other people. And because it's measurable, uh, it's actually really, and, and, you know, the first 20, 30, 50 games you play, you're writing waivers, but after you played hundreds and hundreds of games, it's pretty clear what your rating is. And so let's say that you're like a, you start out at a thousand, you know, let's say you're at like 1100 or 1200 or something, and you play a player who's at 1300, that's not a huge difference, but you'll like basically never be able to beat that person. Like if it, it, chess isn't like poker or other games in which you can like get lucky and win. Like if a 1200 plays a 1300, like the 1300 is going to win pretty much every time. If a 1300 plays a 1400, the 1400 is going to win pretty much every time. Uh, you know, and, and that, that, that stays true as you go up and up and up and up. Um, and so, you know, your ability to move up and get better at chess is predicated on your ability to like go back and study the board. And so, you know, most people think the way you get better at something is by doing more of it. And I actually don't believe that at all. I think the way you get better at something is by analyzing how you did something when you did it last time and then what learnings you get from that. And so in a, in a chess game, you know, you'll play, you'll play at a tournament, you'll play 10 games, whatever. 
at the end of the tournament, I would go back and I would replay the games over and over and over again to try to understand why did I win? Why did I lose? What mistakes did I make? What mistakes did my opponent opponent make? What was I thinking at this time? So I would just like keep going through that. And that's exactly the skill set that I've taken with me to my career. So, you know, when I was a sales rep, uh, I would do the same thing. So I would listen to my calls. I would look through my notes. I would read through emails. Uh, when I became a founder, uh, I write everything down as, as I'm thinking about it. I keep like my own journal or my own log. So, you know, two years ago, I was like, oh, the right way to build bravado is X, Y, and Z. And then I fast forward two years and I can go back and read my thoughts and be like, was I right? Was I wrong? I do performance reviews of all the people that report to me privately for myself, not things that I share with them necessarily, just for myself to be like, I think this person's really talented. I think this person's going to last for another year or two, but then I'm going to need to up-level them. Or this person, like I'm going to need to fire because I don't think their performance is going to turn around. And then I go back and I look like six months later, let's say the performance did turn around and the person was great. And I was like, okay, well, what did I miss? What did I not understand about how I was reading this person's talent? And I think most people don't do that. Most people just kind of like go through life and just like keep going forward. They don't get better at anything. And you, I like to keep a scoreboard for myself. How do you, so how do you know, I, I love that concept. One of journaling, uh, it's always something, you know, taking notes is one thing I try to do. So then I think it's like you're engraving it into your mind is kind of one thought process there. Um, but then also, again, to, to be able to go back to if everything's electronic, you're just death by Google Sheet. Um, but, you know, obviously to, to be able to analyze that, you have to have the EQ to understand, like, where do I even begin to assess that? So I, I want to dig back to, you know, you, you talked about it's never about success, but the things that you want to be better at. How do you understand in your current state, how, how, do, how do I know what things I need to prioritize to be better at? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I mean, this is where having, uh, I like to think of it as like a board of advisors for yourself is really important. So I've got friends around me who are much more successful CEOs than I am, who are lucky enough, who I'm lucky enough to be able to bounce ideas off with and, and have conversations with. Um, and I listen to what they think about and I listen to what they want to improve on. And like, I, you know, I, I have a friend, this guy, uh, his name is Human Radfer. Um, you know, he was, uh, you know, former founder, built, built a really successful business, uh, you know, sold it to Oracle for hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, and, and I'm lucky enough to call Human a friend. And so every time I have a conversation with Human, you know, I listen to how he's thinking about scaling his company, which is doing really well. Uh, and then I think about, well, am I thinking about these things at Bravado? Like, and, I, and I'll tell him what I'm thinking about and he'll give me feedback. So it's having a support group, a peer network around you of people that you consider to be mentors. Um, and then, you know, basically doing a good job of listening to what they care about and then starting to think like, am I spending my time in the right way here or am I missing something, you know? So how do you, and maybe this is natural or maybe it's just a developed skill or a talent, but how have you been able to approach feedback that may have stung a little bit initially? You know, because improvement does require a little bit of breakage and discomfort to get over these problems you may have been repeating in the past. But it's like, you know, the individuals you call friends, they may give you feedback from time to time that may conflict with how you view things. Like how do you assimilate that information and, be, and remain open-minded to this the feedback, the information or whatever. Yeah. I mean, people with egos don't succeed. 
I mean, that's the first thing. Like if you have an ego around feedback, if you have a, if you have pride over thinking you already know what the answer is, then you're never going to get better. You know, like, it's kind of like how, uh, Michael Jordan would practice harder than anybody else. You know, he didn't need to practice. He was the best basketball player of all time, but he still practiced super hard every single time because like to him, it was a mentality of like, you know, if you're not getting better, you're getting worse. And, uh, if the best basketball player of all time took practice really seriously, I, who's a really shitty, like nobody CEO, don't put the same rigor and ethic into my own work. Like that's, that's, that's disgraceful, you know? So like I, I view feedback like I never get stung by feedback and it, it, that's not, that's not the right lens. My operating principle is that I'm wrong. There is a better way to do everything that I'm doing. I don't know the right answer for anything that I do. There is always something I could be doing better. My job is to find those things so that I can get better. And so the I, I, skill set, the thing that I'm optimizing around is what can I be doing better? Not, like walking around, patting myself on the back for things that I'm supposedly good at. Do you, do you ever find yourself like focusing too much on what you can be better than, than actually executing? Cause I know there's like an like paralysis by analysis and it's like, that's great. Assessing my weakness of, I need to talk slower. Or I need to listen. I need to listen uh, proactively versus just being ready to jump and it's okay to take pauses or just thinking of like the different segments of like, okay, I need to change all these things. But then if you're assessing all this, then you actually don't act. How do you balance? How do you, how do you balance that to still move forward? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, because I know I, I think the demands of having to execute and get shit done versus the luxury of being able to think about and optimize process improvement it comes from being able to really manage your time and your schedule. People waste their waste so much time. People waste time on stupid stuff that doesn't need to get done that they could easily farm out to someone else, but they don't. People waste time on, uh, you know, watching a bunch of TV on weekends or like, you know, going out and, and getting hammered or whatever. And that's not to say that like you, can, you don't have fun. Like you know, that's not, that's not my point at all. My point is that, you know, I carve out time in both during the workday and during weekends that is specifically dedicated to helping me get better as a, as a leader, as a professional, um, because it is to me the most important thing that I can do. And what that requires is building really good process around how things get done so I can be more efficient. It requires hiring really talented people. So I don't need to do everything and watch over their shoulders. And so, you know, a lot of a lot of the world comes down to can you hire really great people or can you work with really great people? And can you um, uh, build really good process so that you can be efficient so you can have the time and space in order to, you know, grow. Definitely. And, you know, going back to, you know, the Michael Jordan, Jordan example, you know, the best player on earth just had this maniacal focus on practice and getting better. And, you know, there was a sacrifice and a trade-off with that mindset, as well as that practice, you know, a lot of other aspects in his life, you know, took a backseat to his personal performance and focus. 
um, you know, being a CEO in a company, especially one that's rapidly growing, you know, and improving yourself all the time, you know, how has, how has your life changed? Um, you know, cause you recently had a kid, which I think is an amazing, um, you know, blessing in life. So congrats on that, you know, and how has your life changed, you know, as you run this company, you're growing your family and you have like a lot of these really important priorities. Yeah. I mean, the first thing I had to do was to cut like 90% of 95% of people out of my life that weren't, that weren't part of my future, but were just part of my past. And so it's really hard because, you know, you've got your friends, you've got your hobbies, you've got your things you like to do. I used to play golf a bunch, uh, you know, in 2016, 17, I started playing a little competitively and, and that's gone, you know? And so it requires sacrifice, of course, like there's, uh, there is a finite amount of time that you have per day and you need to use that time appropriately. Um, and you mentioned having a kid. I mean, that just sharpens the saw on that, you know, because uh, gone are going out to dinners. And then when you stop going out to dinners, you, you know, you stop having the bottles of wine and when you stop having the bottles of wine, then you wake up the next day and you're not like groggy. So then you're able to work out more. So you have more energy so that like, it's just like a, it's a, it's, it's a whole practice, you know, it's, it's a whole cycle. And it's amazing how as you have less time, you actually get more efficient, which in turn makes you more effective. And then you look back and you're like, what was I even doing with all that time? And I think the best example of this is college, right? Like you think back to college, like you used to go to school, I think, you know, 15 to 16 hours a week. And so you're basically free a hundred and you know, what, 20 hours uh, a week. And you think about what you accomplished in those 120 hours. And then you think about your life today, where you've got a full-time job and maybe kids and a spouse, or whatever. And then you look at what you get done. And you're like, wow, I basically did nothing when I was in school. You know, I just like sat around and smoked weed and ate pizza or whatever, you know, like, like you can't believe how much time you waste. And I think, having a reckoning around that is really important for yourself. Doing an audit of your time is really important. Do you think part of why you're, I would say scrupulous or maybe so precise with that, like in addition to, you know, being able to have to prioritize family over friends, like does that, is that shaped by being like a, a sales, like salesman through and through, I guess, or, or maybe we can even date back before you got into sales. Like, has this always been the mindset of optimize, 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 or was it like once you started doing sales and you saw the process and if I do, if I do this many calls, I set this many meetings and I have to do this many meetings, I get this many uh, closes. And then you start to build that formula of, I know Sahil, if I make 12 call, 12 calls a day, I, or I guess it'd probably be 50 or 60 on most sales reps. You make 60 calls a day. I get this much deals, which is this much income because it's that percent to quota. And I don't want to miss quota because I'm the best salesperson I can be. Like, is, I feel like sales, I mean, personally myself running national partnerships, like that is a, I, I find those similarities sometimes roll over into personal behavior and personal operations. Uh, but love to hear your, your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I firmly believe that sales is the best career in the world. Like I deeply believe that sales is the best job in the world. Uh, and there are many reasons I believe that, uh, but one of which that you just cited is really, is really key. Look, um, it is incredibly uh, 
rewarding to work in a profession that demands that you optimize your time. Because as a salesperson, you can't waste time with shitty prospects. You can't waste time. You always got to juggle building pipeline with closing deals, with serving customers, with like your time is your most valuable commodity as a rep because literally your time dictates how much money you make, like literally, right? So does your judgment, just to be clear, right? So the two things that you have to be excellent at as a sales rep, if you want to make a lot of money, you got to manage your time really well and you got to have really good judgment. You got to know who's going to close, who's not. We used to call this shit or get off the pot, you know, like who's, who's the customers I'm going to invest in? Who can I turn around? Who can I not? But then, you know, if you kick someone down the road, you got to make sure that you have a good process to bring them back in because you don't want that lead to like get cold or whatever. And then a, a competitor comes in and steals it. And so it forces you to have control over what's happening with your territory, with your pipelines, with your customers, with your time. And, and I think your, your uh, expression there was spot on in that it definitely bled over into how I thought about my personality as well. Yeah. Definitely. And so, you know, you've had an extremely successful sales career by any conventional definition, um, worked for some fantastic companies, closed some amazing accounts. You know, what was the, the motivation to become a CEO? You know, that's a very major pivot um, when thinking about a career trajectory um, and just loving sales as much as you do. What was really the motivation to get Bravado started um, and take that pivot in to become a true like organizational leader from the top and really set the vision for a new business and uh, solve some problems? Yeah, I, I had no intention of becoming a CEO. Uh, I had no intention of building a company. I had no intention of doing anything. Um, I was really lucky that I was a uh, early employee at a company called Glassdoor. Um, and they bought, got bought by Recruit Holdings, you know, for like one and a half billion dollars. That was pretty life-changing for me. Um, I was also running a product at another company that got acquired by eBay. And so like I had uh, some, some financial freedom for the first time in my life because I grew up super fucking poor. Um, and so, you know, turning around and finding myself in this world where I was like, whoa, this is, this is different. Um, the only thing I, I, back to the luxury of success of being able to work on things you care about. I, I had, I didn't want to be a CEO. I had no, no intention, no, no, no desire to do that. What I wanted to do was I wanted to help change the face of sales, the reputation of sales. I saw, I, I started Bravado not because I was like, oh, I want to be a CEO and, a, you know, like start a company. I was like, oh, I see a problem. And I don't think anyone else is understanding the problem the way that I'm understanding it. So let me see who else feels if this is a problem. And pretty much every salesperson I talked to was like, yo, this is a real problem. Like, I don't understand why every single sales team tries to solve the same problem within their own company, their own cubicle, their own headset, but there's no intercompany uh, uh, connection. You know, there's no place for a community of sales to come together and help one another and like, you know, solve what are like, you know, pretty common issues, pretty common problems. Um, there's no way to get advice, career mentoring, and what's the right way to build a comp plan. And like, I just, I just couldn't understand why this didn't exist, you know, and I, and I had like a real clarity that this needed to exist in the world. And so that was the impetus. 
And so I, I started Bravado without ever thinking I was now a CEO or I was an organizational leader. I started because I was like, yo, this thing needs to exist in the world. Like, this is a real problem and I think I can solve it. That, however, was the reason why I have to become so like maniacal about improving is because companies scale exponentially, but human beings only scale linearly, right? You can only get better at a certain rate. And so really quickly, Bravado was much more successful than I was competent to be the CEO of the company. We had thousands of users, millions of dollars in funding. And like, I, I didn't know what the fuck I was doing, you know? And so I needed to level up really, really quickly. Otherwise, I was going to let a lot of people, I was going to let a lot of investors down. I was going to let a lot of uh, employees down. And most importantly, I was going to let, let down the sales community that I was help, you know, hoping to serve. And so it became a necessity, and, and, you know, an obsession in some ways, because I mean, look, companies fail for one of two reasons. There's death by homicide and there's death by suicide. So death by homicide is where the market kills you. Uh, it's where a competitor out executes you. It's where uh, you have bad timing and like, you know, there's a downturn in the economy. Something happens, you, you don't build the right product or don't find product market fit. Life happens. Most startups fail, most companies die. It's the reality. What I was never willing to accept was death by suicide. Death by suicide is where you have everything right, but you fail as a company because like the culture is shitty or because you hired the wrong people or because you can't like fucking execute on time or because like you you do things to impede your own success i talk about this all the time i will accept death by homicide if we fail because linkedin you know miraculously figures out how to actually build a real social network or you know uh, our sales gets really big one of these other communities comes out and does something like if we fail because of that cool we gave it our best shot we tried if we fail because I was a shitty CEO or we fail because I couldn't hire the right talent or we fail because I couldn't set up a good process within the company or we slowed down or whatever, I will be, I will never get it. Um, yeah. And so that's how I think. about it. Yeah. I mean, I think like there, the, the timing of when you bring a product to life and, and why and the purpose behind it, the mission and values is so crucial. I mean, I think, you know, I've seen the the food delivery space and been part of DoorDash when Postmates was bigger than DoorDash. Um, and now, you know, Postmates sold for 2 billion and we're 20 times that. But that's because Tony and team had the vision of, we're not going to focus on flashy things. We're going to build a merchant first. We're going to build what's best for the customer and focusing and obsessing around that has allowed us to scale, you know, tenfold, 20fold against the competition. Uh, so hell, I want to kind of dive, you know, you've had a variety of different businesses you've worked for. And obviously understanding that you, like, you love sales makes it really easy to understand like, okay, if I love sales, okay, then it's more so, am I selling a service? Am I selling a product? Okay, who's the end consumer? How do I want to impact those people? So as you kind of journeyed from, you know, you talked about being early on at Glassdoor, um, getting acquired uh, by EB at, uh, eBay at Sales Predict, like how did you determine like once you were done at one of those roles, maybe through acquisition or maybe just through time, it's like, maybe I need to go to a new sales org, but is it because of product? Is it because of people? Is it because 
I am like not optimizing to be better enough at the things that I want. So I need to go somewhere different. would love to hear your thought process around that. Uh, I mean, the first two companies that I worked for, I got fired. from. So that made it really easy for me to, for me to uh, find a new role because they were no longer interested in my services. Um, and I got fired at both companies, despite being the number one salesperson globally at the company in both instances. And the reason I got fired is because I was a shithead of a person, you know, like I had a huge ego around, around myself and I thought, you know, I could walk on water. Uh, I didn't understand anything about scaling a business. I didn't have a business background. You know, I worked in, I worked in, I mean, I came into sales through a really weird back door where I used to work on the Obama campaign and I was, you know, working on this like, you know, mission driven, nonprofit driven government track. I went to school in DC you know, I, sp- I speak five languages. I, worked for the CIA, intern for the CIA over the summer. Like I was on a track to go and, and do like foreign service uh, diplomacy work for the rest of my life until, you know, basically graduated, ended up uh, having to come back for financial and family reasons to, to San Francisco and starting to like make money and ended up kind of, you know, backdooring into sales. Um, and so, uh, and then I found success in it and I was like, oh, I'm actually really good at this. And and then, and then it was like, oh, but I don't actually know why I'm good at it, you know? And so that was really interesting to me was because I thought the way that salespeople were measured was if you hit quota, you were successful. But then I ended up getting fired. And the first time I got fired, I was like, oh, screw them. Like, you know, I'm their best rep and they fired me. So then I went to my next job, which was in Glassdoor. I also got fired from Glassdoor. Um, and, and the reason I got fired from Glassdoor is because they hired a SVP of sales. So basically there was a VP of sales who I went to go work for. And he was amazing. His name's Jake Dunlop. Great dude. Still a mentor, still a friend. He's an investor in Nevada. Um, and I love this guy. And he like, you know, was helping me get better at sales and whatever. And then um, he ended up getting let go uh, because of like weird cultural, whatever, it doesn't matter. And so, um, and, and in his absence, you know, there was kind of this like vacuum. And I basically was helping like train all of our new reps. And I was like also the number one salesperson and like I was working on this like new enterprise team, whatever, and things were great. And then they hired this new SVP of sales who came in with his like fancy watch and his, you know, silver hair and driving his like silver Audi to to Beamer to to work every day, sitting in his office who had absolutely no idea how to sell. Like this dude was not good at sales, like point blank, was not good at sales. And, but what he did know how to do was figure out that I was a huge asshole who had a huge ego and, and that uh, I needed to be checked. And the way that he decided to check me was by having me report to this person who was even worse than him at sales, who had like no uh, uh, ability whatsoever to sell. Um, and I basically just like, you know, acted out and was like super disrespectful about the whole thing and like, you know, acted like a little shithead, like a 24 year old, I guess, does. And they also were kind enough to show me the door and tell me my services were wrong or something. Um, but that experience really changed things for me because that was the first time that I was like, maybe it's not them, it's me. You know, like, like maybe being on top of the leaderboard isn't the most important thing in sales. Uh, and then I started thinking and like understanding more about like what it takes to build a, a revenue organization, a company and why things like territory management Setting up comp plans, recruiting, and like all these are far more important than the ability to close a sales 
deal. And I was like, oh, right now, I'm just like a cog in the machine, a really good cog, but a cog nonetheless. I need to learn to build machines. Like that's the skill set. The skill set isn't being good at sales. I've always been good at sales and I continue to love it. And like to this day, if there's anything that needs to be sold at Bravado, I rush to the front of the line to go sell it. You know, like I love it. My favorite, my favorite thing in the world to do is to sell. Um, I would sell for free. You know, just, just for fun. Um, but uh, the skill is how can I teach others to sell? How can I build a sales team? How can I build a revenue? And it just completely shifted my entire mindset around the world and around like how the world worked and what was important and whatever. Um, so I didn't, I didn't like walk out knowing this stuff at all. You know, I had to have my ass handed to me a couple of times before like, you know, reality set in and I was like, oh, okay, like, this is the way I need to operate. Not that answered your question directly, but it's my story. Yeah, I mean that was I was going to ask about how that catalyst came came to play. You know that mindset shift where you know you said earlier, you know people with egos just they don't succeed. You know, and so that's a pretty transformative experience to have. Um, and I would imagine that that influences how you look at people coming into the organization as well. That degree of self awareness to say, hey, maybe it's not them, it's me, because um, I think that's a really powerful, you know, ability to have that <clears throat> that self reflection. <laughs> But, you I know, mean, when you're you, looking you out have, into the. Totally. I would just say you just have to, like, if you just have to, at a certain point, you're like, wait, I'm like the number one sales rep, but I keep getting fired. Like something's wrong, you know, like, like I'm not like clearly the first time I, you know, it's like, fool me one, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. Like, you know, at some point it was just like, I'm, I'm doing something really stupid and wrong here. Absolutely. So when you, so when you look out into the future, you know, with, with everything that you're doing, you know, what are some of the goals that you have for the future with, you know, looking in the back, looking in the rear of your mirror, you've had these amazing experiences, some amazing life transformations, both personally as you've evolved through your career. And then as you've, you know, developed a family for yourself, um, you know, what does the future have for you? You know, when you're looking out, what gets you really excited? Um, what gets me really excited is the same thing that got me excited four years ago. We haven't done anything yet, you know, like, Sales is still filled with a bunch of Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, like isms. Um, nobody's growing up wanting to be a salesperson yet. Like, you know, my goal with Bravado is I want kids growing up one day thinking, I want to be a salesperson. Like when I grow up, I want to be in sales because that's a really fucking awesome job. Like we haven't even scratched the surface on that. Um, but we got some things coming that we're all excited about. Yeah, I mean, I think like, it's so interesting. We had a previous guest on Aaron Witt and his goal is to make the dirt world a better place because no one wants to get into construction. And it's like, you look at these industries and even though sales could be quote unquote enhanced by tools and products and outreach and troops and all these apps that want to make you more efficient. But then like, if you truly look at the, you know, the basics of like, sales always has this like negative stereotype of like, oh, you're just being sold, et cetera. But I share the feeling of like where I think the definition of sales and I kind of interested in your definition is like, I view it as like enhancing and changing society. Like if I have a solution that I feel that like one can help drive you money, but then two help build like a new customer experience or make an existing experience better, then like, why would we not want this to happen? 
as a business, you're successful. So you can take care of your family. You can take care of your employees. And from a customer perspective, oh, well, that this is better for me or this is new for me. And so you're creating experiences. And so I kind of view sales and, and my journey and like my goals for sales is more so creating change and like creating new and positive experiences to like make the world a better place. As cliche that is, but it's like, you want to have your impact. So what, what's your definition of sales? Yeah, I see sales through the lens that you describe it, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that's a great definition, uh, my friend. Um, but the way that I see sales is a little bit different. Um, everything in the world is sales. Literally everything around you is sales. At all times, every moment, the entire world is either selling or being sold to. Go to a restaurant and uh, they sit you down at a table, it's near the door and it's a little bit windy and uh, the door keeps opening. So you want to move to a table that's inside, you know, near the, near the fireplace or whatever. Uh, how do you convince the waiter to do that? Um, you walk, uh, you're, you're walking uh, down the street and you see uh, a really, you see someone with a really cute dog and you know that your kid wants to go play with their dog, but they might not like want like some random person to come up and start touching or petting their dog. How do you convince them to let you play with their dog? Like you walk into a bar, you see a guy or girl, you think it's cute. How do you strike up a conversation? You know, you get, you get my point. Literally the entire world is sales. The entire world is sales at every moment. And sales is the ability to build a relationship and a connection with someone. It's the ability to build shared trust and purpose with someone. And it's the ability to take two people going on this path and being able to put them on this path. You know, it's like, it's, it's convergent. That's what sales is. Like you were you were planning on doing X, I was planning on doing Y, but now we're going to do this thing together. Uh, it's it's harmony, it's unity, you know. And and sales, when done right, when when done, sales when done right, is the greatest gift you can give someone, because nothing feels better than buying something you really want, getting something you really want, you know. And 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 I think like, not you know, I dropped Michael Jordan at the beginning. Of this, of this thing and now I'm dropping like Steve Jobs but I feel really like tooly about this but you know we'll just go with it like nobody understood this better than Steve Jobs maybe Elon Musk is another example someone who really gets this you know where like Tesla doesn't do any marketing they never run a TV commercial they don't have any billboards they don't even have any dealerships right he's just like I'm gonna make the best fucking car you've ever seen and when you see it on the road you're gonna be like yo that thing looks awesome I want one same thing with with apple and the iphone you know they're like just why combinator maybe the most famous kind of you know startup studio in the world why combinator has a really simple motto it's four words you know what it is build something people want it's it it's literally the world right and sales to me is the ultimate manifestation of that it's creating desire it's creating want and so to me, like when I think about my definition of sales, uh, that's how I think. Well, Sahil, I think that's a, a perfect way to uh, close out the podcast. I think this has been very insightful and, and hopefully those listening may be inspired now to join the, uh, the, the sales world. Uh, but really appreciate you having on, uh, being on the podcast today and, and really enjoyed some, some wisdom. So thanks for being on the summit. Yeah, man. Re really enjoyed you having me. And, and, 
No, I'll end. There, there's one point I want to make just at the end here, which, which I think is, is kind of like relevant to your theme of success, you know, because in sales, success is easy to see. You know, it's like you either close the deal or you didn't. Uh, binary outcome. There's a leaderboard you can look up. You can see who's successful, who's not. I love games like that. And I think the entire world needs to play more games that have a scoreboard, that have a, a, a clear accountability. And I think we would actually solve a lot of problems, a lot of problems in the world if we just created a scoreboard and a metric to define success. You know, it's like, I think about like things like climate change, you know, stuff like that. And people are like, we're still talking about it. I don't know if we're getting any better because there's no easy scoreboard. You know, there's no like one thing I can look at and be like, you know, did we move this number from here to here? Every single day, every month it gets reported on. Like the US has a quota to hit. We got to move this. Like we would fix climate change. Like the principles from sales can be applied at such a wide level. And I feel like it's not because people don't know what success is. And so I think the podcast that you're doing is really interesting because you started with like, what's your definition of success? Um, and I guess I should have added this in the beginning. I've been thinking about it the whole time is my definition of success is that there is a way to measure success that is really, really critical. You know, like how do you know who's the best engineer on your team? Is it like the person who writes the most lines of code, the person who writes code most efficiently, whatever, whatever it is, put a fucking scoreboard on and measure people off of it. And I bet your engineering team's productivity would increase, right? Because they understand like, oh, I'm being measured on this thing, I need to drive it. Now, knowing what to measure is really hard, right? Knowing what to measure is really hard because as we see in sales, you measure people closing deals and people start shoving bad customers into the pipeline. Or they start, or they stop working or you measure by like total revenue close and they give shittier experiences to customers who are less valuable. You know, because they're like, I'm going to spend all my time with these high, high network customers. And so there's always, you know, negative effects that come by measuring something. But if you can't measure it, you can't make it better. If you can't make it better, then you can't know if you're succeeding. So I think that's really good. Anyway, thanks for having me. It was fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Summit Podcast. If you found any value in this episode, all that we ask is that you rate and review our show and share it with one person. That could be a friend, it could be a coworker, it could be a family member, doesn't matter, just one person. If you have any questions or feedback or want to give ideas for guests, please visit our website and drop us a line there. Our website is thesummitpodcasts.com. That's thesummitpodcasts.com. And you can also find us on social media under the handle The Summit Podcasts.